Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Effective Teaching Podcast, where I provide you with actionable strategies that you can apply to your teaching and learning to enhance student learning and transform them into lifelong learners. I'm Dan Jackson, and this week I want to answer the question, what is critical inquiry-based learning? Now, the word inquiry comes from the Latin word inquirent or inquirent. I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce that. I never learned Latin. <laughs> um, uh, and it means to ask questions. Uh, and so to inquire is to just ask questions. And when you're looking at inquiry-based learning, you're looking at learning that is based on questions. So in last week's episode, episode number 36, I talked about how good questions start with how or why rather than what, when or who. Uh, they should be personable using you know, the we, the you or the our rather than um, uh, they, for example, and relate to your course outcomes as well as draw on the central elements of your course uh, or subject area that connects the content to the real life around you. So today, moving on from that, what I'm actually going to do is talk more practically about how you can really help your students to ask their own questions and foster their inquiry into learning in your classroom or at the moment uh, if you're doing things remotely. One of the ways that you can do this is using wonder walls. The wonder walls tend to be really popular, particularly with primary schools, uh, where they put up you know, this little pin board on the wall or a section of their wall where students, when they wonder something or when they have this question about something in the world, they can write the question down, take it over, and they stick it up on this board. And then at some point, they're given time to actually look into answering their questions, or maybe someone else might answer their question for them uh, and share that answer. And so you're looking at fostering the, the asking of questions, but then also making sure they get answers. There's also a system called Know, Wonder and Learn. And so this might be when you're posing a topic to your students, you might ask them, what do they already know about this topic? And then you might write some of that stuff down in that column. And then the next column is wonder. What do they wonder about this topic? And so they start to write down their questions or things that they're interested in that relate to that topic. And then the last column is the learning. And that's where they record the answers that they find to their wonders. Um, or when they might correct the knowledge that they thought they had, which actually is slightly incorrect or another perspective has enlightened a bit further. So that's the Know, Wonder, Learn system. Another system which is very basic is just ask the students, what do they know about the content? And then what do they need to know in order to answer a question that you ask them? Or what do they need to know in order to produce a product or a project that they might be working on in relation to that question? And that's a particularly a uh, useful thing that's used, um, <laughs> that's a particularly useful thing that's used, that's, that's a great way to say things. Um, that's a particularly useful quest way to phrase your questions when you're doing things like project-based learning where the students have to create a project but you want them to think about what they know already in relation to that and then also what they need to know in order to be, to be successful in achieving that. But you can apply that to any learning goals where you go, what do they already know in relation to that goal and then what do they need to know in order to achieve that goal? Now the idea with these is that questions lead to more questions, which then, as they're being looked at and answered, lead to more questions and into more questions. And you actually get the students to be going down this rabbit hole of inquiry where they might find something out, but then finding that out actually makes them ask another question. And so that causes deeper learning in a subject. 
Now, beware, it can also cause tangential <laughs> tangential, is that a word? <laughs> Learning in a subject as well. For an example here, a student might ask what happened to start World War II. And so they might then go and do some reading. They might read some old newspapers from you know, uh, London or something or from Australia. They might read some articles and some history books that were written by the English or by Australians, if you're lucky. Uh, but then that might then make them ask, well, how did Germany actually think about how World War I started? Uh, what are their thoughts on it? And maybe they might even look into how American thought it how America perceive it as starting and particularly their role and when they joined World War II. Did World War II really start when America joined or was it already a World War before that they joined joined in? Uh, and that then might even ask them to go even further and ask things like how did Hitler get into power or maybe they might look at how the relationship between America and Japan got broke down. Uh, this could really lead to more questions and more questions and further learning and the cycle just kind of repeats itself over and over. And so I want to note here, like I did earlier, that it, this is very important for you as the teacher to really help bring this inquiry back to what you're teaching and what the students are meant to be learning, the outcomes and the content that you're meant to be covering to ensure that this isn't a complete tangent that gets taken, that ends up taking up all the time. Uh, you don't want it to take over completely, but you do want to kind of guide it and help the student to actually follow that process as much as they can, enabling their curiosity to lead their learning. I think that's a fantastic thing for our students to develop their inquiry skills. Now, I want to note that critical inquiry is not just to ask questions. So it can be a bit of that if you're really good at asking questions, but it actually is a bit more than that. So in order to be critical, the student needs to know how to do research properly. Uh, so they need to know how to use things like Google Scholar or advanced Google searches. They can't just go in, type in the words and see what comes up and look at the answer that's provided in the forum or what Wikipedia gives them. Uh, they need to know how to investigate, how to follow the references that are provided in research uh, and then go and follow that and find their references and follow those and actually get to the roots of where information is coming from. Uh, maybe even look, finding out and learning how to set notifications so that when new things get released, they get an email that tells them, hey, there's, there's new stuff on this topic that you're trying to find out about. They may also need to have some good interview skills so that they're actually knowing how to ask the right questions, not just closed questions, but open-ended questions that allow people to really flow on and how to be flexible with the questioning so that what the person being interviewed provides in answer then leads to more questions in relation to that and it's not just scripted the whole way through. Uh, you might also need to teach them how to find experts. So in order to be critical you need to be able to find the people who are in the know and so that could be just you know how to use social media to find people who are really influential in this space and their knowledge in this area or it might be how to contact professors at a university and actually get access to them through email or uh, how to go and find them on campus to also talk to them face to face. Uh, and they also need to learn how to be critical. So for critical inquiry, they need to have some kind of criteria or system that they're using to determine the quality of the evidence. Now, in order to do that, I think some of the key things that need to go into a criteria when you're looking at being critical really requires, so students need to know how to tell who has authority on a subject and why. So if I'm looking at physics, you know, if there's a professor in physics, he's fairly authoritarian. Um, he has a lot of authority in that area. 
even compared to you know, your normal teachers, uh, unless of course you happen to be a professor and a teacher, uh, in which case you know, might tick off a lot of whole bunch of boxes for the student. But you know, it's really important for them to understand the levels of authority and the levels of knowledge that different people will have in a specific subject area. And even to know, you know that a professor in one area of physics may be completely clueless and not very authoritarian in uh, authoritative, sorry, in the in a different area of physics because you know as you become a professor you tend to refine your depth, your width of knowledge, and you tend to go for more depth in a specific uh, field in there. Uh, it also requires for the student when they're getting critical to look at the person behind the information. So you know we tend to generally teach kids that if you look at a blog or you're reading an article that's just written on a website generally just kind of ignore it and go and find something that's better than that. But I'm going to say there's some really good articles on the internet that are written by professors who also write all those peer-reviewed academic articles. Um, and so it actually might be more important to teach students to go, okay, here's the site, here's the information, but who wrote that information? Uh, and so is that person someone who has a lot of knowledge? What are their qualifications? Uh, what kind of research have they actually put into this field? What are, what's their experience in it as well? Because it might be one thing to have a lot of head knowledge in something, but another thing to be wise in its application. So for example, uh, if you are learning about business, it's one thing to go to university and study from a professor in business. It's a completely different thing though, to go to a successful business person and learn from them in terms of how they work and the processes they put in place and how they actually have managed to build successful businesses and so you'll get different kinds of information from each of them uh, because their focus is slightly different when it comes to that business. They also need to learn to understand you know, is .gov or .eu a good enough in terms of determining the authority of an article or a website and which one of those might be better if .gov says something different to a .edu website which one actually holds more authority? It's the .edu one in case you're wondering. Um, but consider multiple perspectives too when you're coming to this. So when I get my students to do critical inquiry, they need to be able to consider different perspectives on things. So if I go back to my example about World War II, you know, Australia, England, uh, the French will all have different perspectives on World War II. They'll be quite similar, those ones, but if you then switch over to Germany, if you switch over to looking at how Japan and how America perceived all the events that were happening, you'll actually get multiple different perspectives here which deepen your understanding and allow you to actually refine your criteria when you're trying to work out well what actually makes good information here. The other thing students need to be able to do is to identify underlying assumptions that other people might have. And so you know, it might be one thing to read a professor's work, but it's a completely another thing though to interview them. So I've had the benefit of interviewing John Hattie, for example, in this podcast uh, in one of my early episodes and when I interviewed him it gave me a lot better insight into his knowledge and how he applies it than what I just got from reading his books and I've read quite a few of his books uh, but I've also had conversations with people who have told me you know that he's against flip learning or he's against project-based learning because it's rated low on his you know effect size and stuff like that but when you actually talk to him he, he, he understands his research at such a greater depth than what he what he's provided in those books so that he can actually tell you that you know project-based learning does work flip learning does work um, but because of the way that the studies were done and what was included in that means that actually 
uh, they've, they've been reduced because teachers are ineffective in the way that they apply their flipped learning. And so maybe the definition that was used for those things uh, was not a fine enough definition in terms of what we are thinking of when we look at those. So it's really important that we actually look at the underlying assumptions that we have or that other people might have as we're looking at information and their biases as well. You know, a lot of teachers might be biased, for example, you know, they want project-based learning to have this really great impact. And uh, for me, I think it does. And for my conversations with people uh, who are into research around this, they say it does as well. Uh, so I think it does, but if you come to someone else, they might have a completely different bias and just go, no, it doesn't work because what they've seen of project-based learning is not actually what I think project-based learning is, for example. So next, when it comes to being critical with your inquiry for students, they need to be able to understand how contextual factors influence perspective and understandings of content. So not understanding that things are socially constructed in terms of our understanding and knowledge about something and how we perceive it uh, is really important because that helps them to identify their own um, perceptions and their own biases as well because of their life experiences, because of what's actually been going on for them, what they've seen, what they've heard, and the information that actually they've managed to access compared to what information is actually around there. And that then leads me into the last one, which is reflection. That reflection is the ability for them to think about themselves and how they um, bring their own biases into their own research. Okay, so now I want to talk about just four principles of, that govern inquiry-based learning. And these are number one, that inquiry-based learning, critical inquiry-based learning is student-centered. Okay, your instructions, your resources, your technology, they're all there and organized around the student to support them in their inquiry. Uh, number two, learning activities focus on information processing skills. So you're, you're, fo you're focusing on these skills that relate to inquiry, not just the content. Now, notice I didn't say you're ignoring the content, I'm saying that's not necessarily the focus for inquiry-based learning and particularly in critical inquiry-based learning. Number three, teachers coach the learning process and seek to learn about their students in that process. So you know, coaching requires you know, giving instruction, giving feedback, having criteria that you measure things against, all that kind of stuff. So that is the teacher's role in this process. And the fourth one is the emphasis is placed on evaluating information processing skills and conceptual understandings, not just the content. So you'll notice that so I've shifted in one of those I've mentioned you know, learning activities focus on information processing skills, but then I've, this one is about the evaluation. Evaluation for critically inquiry-based learning should also focus on the information processing skills. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's how you're going to provide your marks. Now, I want to encourage you this week to think of a way that you can encourage your students to ask questions and to be critical in how they find their answers. So it might be that you put up a wonder wall or that you just ask your students when you're presenting the next bit of learning, you go, oh, we're going to learn about this today. This is our learning goal we want to achieve. You know, I want you to be able to understand all the things that affect your health. And you know, so that might be the different aspects of health and so, or dimensions of health. And so you're going to then ask the students, okay, what do you already know? And then what do we need to know in order to make sure that we learn everything there is about these aspects or about these dimensions to then build upon and evaluate and determine what makes us healthy. Uh, and that might be a really cool thing, particularly at the moment when you're looking at uh, being isolated and that affecting your social health and then uh, the fact that we're 
kind of stuck in terms of people don't get to go out as much. So maybe our, our physical health is improving. We have more time. I see a lot more people now doing exercise, for example. And so you're asking students to then ask those questions themselves and then giving them time to inquire into that, to find some answers and to think, be critical about that and guide them in that process. And so you're focusing on helping them with that information processing skills and not just on the content. Well, that is it for this week. Thank you so much for taking some time out to listen to this episode. Uh, if you are enjoying the podcast, please take a moment and leave a review. Uh, it will help others to find the podcast. It'll also help them to decide that they should listen to the podcast because I know if I see a podcast and the rating on that podcast is you know two stars out of five, I'm not likely to listen to it. But if there's lots of people who have reviewed it and said that it's actually good, then I'm more likely to listen to that podcast. So if you specifically like this episode, feel free to share it on social media or leave a comment at teacherspd.net slash 37. And finally, I want to let you know that I have decided that as of Friday the 1st of May, the Teachers PD membership that provides access to over 60 hours of online NESA accredited PD will no longer be available for purchase. So the membership's gonna continue, like if you buy it, then the membership, you still get all your access, there's lots of support, uh, and I'm actually adding more to this membership than just the online courses. I'm adding you know, monthly webinars to this, there's a private Facebook group that goes with it, there's the forums that are in there for support as well. Uh, but I wanna do this really well, and so that, for me, I think it's just made me decide that I'm gonna close down the selling of the membership so that that just kind of happens uh, at the moment, it's going to close down on the 1st of May. Uh, and so if you are interested, if you are looking for some actionable professional learning that you can do online, at home, in your pyjamas, you know, uh, you, we can't go to face-to-face -to -face at the moment. So if you need hours, there's lots of hours here. Come and just sign up and get yourself some access to lots of really good professional development that's on teacherspd.net. Now, if you are interested, just head over to teacherspd.net slash memberships to find out more. Uh, and today, so Sunday the 26th, which is when this podcast is released, uh, is actually the last day that you can register and get $100 off. So if you choose to buy it today, that's use the coupon code that is COVID-19, which is up on the page where you purchase your memberships. Uh, enter that code, that'll give you a $100 discount so that you only have to pay $150 plus GST. So head on over and make sure that you sign up before I take down that page. I do want lots of people to get the membership. I just don't want to be spending my time thinking about, oh, how are people going to buy it? How do people access it? I want to actually focus more on providing quality and quantity for my members and looking after them as best as I can. Uh, and so I really hope that you will come and join me there. Uh, but for now, let's chat again next week.